want to look at. So go with me to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to read some verses tonight. I want to take you back in time and take you back forward as far as God being concerned. And you kind of already know what the theme is. We've already unveiled it here to you. And we're not making any secret. We just want, we just want to, be, just to be in the way for the Lord to use us there. All right. Exodus chapter 14, verse 9. Listen very carefully as I read the scriptures tonight. Verse 9. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pahahiroth and before Peel-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said to Moses, they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us thus to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thy hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Would you go back with me to verse 15? I'd like you to read that with me together in unison. Verse 15, with this read together. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. What an exciting passage of Scripture. How many would have liked to have been there that day? Amen? I mean, I'm talking about a sea of water. The wind of God blowing right through it from shoreline to shoreline. And the water's receding sideways like this. A huge wall. And on top of that, the ground that the Israelites would march on, dry ground. This is real. This is not a story. This is not make-believe or children's church. This is real. Better say amen. Amen. This is real. That's God. That's God. But for this to happen, they had to go forward. And we'll see some things tonight about this. I was studying over this and just spending some time on it. I just saw something I never saw before. But I want you to notice that... The, the thought of the Israelites, which we're not going to dwell on tonight, they were kind of sarcastic with Moses because that within a hair's breadth of them were the Egyptians. And uh, we read earlier there were 600 chariots. That's a lot of chariots. Just to give you perspective, we had about 500-something people here in church today. Can you imagine 600 chariots? That is an army. Those were the Bradley tanks of that day. And on top of that, there were thousands. In fact, the Bible says all their soldiers. How about that? All their soldiers. Not some of them. That wasn't just a brigade. It was all the soldiers. And when they heard the sound 
And they saw the sight. This is, this is what they said to Moses. This is, this is how encouraging they were to the leadership at that time. They said, because there were no graves in the Egypt, you brought us out here? You brought us out here to die? What kind of leader are you? Is this faith? You brought us out here to be buried in the sand? And then, and then they said in verse 12, leave us alone. I've heard that before, amen? Leave us alone. Leave us alone. And then they said, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians. You know what they're saying? It was better for us to stay in the past. It was better for us to eat the leeks and onions of Egypt because we're right here at the Red Sea. We don't even have a fishing pole to fish. Amen? That's what we say. When things don't look the way we think it should look, we say it had been better if I had been back there. No, it wasn't better. It's better to be right there. It's better to be right there. And so tonight, let's look at this passage and see what God wants us to do. Father, thank you tonight for this passage of Scripture. And uh, God, it it doesn't fail. It cannot fail. Because, Lord, you never fail. God can do anything but fail. And tonight, we just ask for special discernment and wisdom I pray for our nursing workers and our transitors right now. God, as they labor separate from what we're doing here, God, give them grace, give them enablement, help the translators to catch the words just carefully. We've got many, many of our Chinese-speaking, Spanish-speaking members here tonight, and I want them to hear so carefully how much you love them. And I need help tonight, Lord. I I just really pray that you'd give me enablement this evening. I pray for the special anointing of God to help encourage your flock, and I pray you'd feed souls tonight through the word, and I pray that, Lord, you help me to take the oversight thereof, not by constraint nor for filthy lucre, but of a willing mind. And then as we preached about the power of God's word this morning, I pray for your word to pierce. I pray for it to divide. I pray for it to be thrust through very deeply, even so that the dirt comes out, as the Bible says about Ehud. And I pray tonight that we'd not let any of the word of God fall to the ground. Would you speak to our hearts and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to thank Brother Gerald and his team and Brother Vaughn for putting together that recap video. That was an incredible amount of work that they did for that. I'm not even sure how many hours went into that production and just editing it, but thank you very, very much for that. This just encourage our hearts tonight about what we saw. I want to thank you for being at church tonight. Our theme for 2019 and our 20th anniversary is found right here in verse 15. Two simple words, go forward. Go forward. The message tonight is all about going forward. Tonight, we're all about going forward. Tonight, we are going forward. We're going forward as a body of Christ. And the underlying event that is the basis for this theme is the crossing of the great and mighty Red Sea. What happened there never happened before that. And what happened there was so great, God had to give them a repeat of that on a smaller scale later on under Joshua's leadership. They had to see something like that. And what was happened there happened even on a more smaller scale, what happened with Elijah and Elisha back in 2 Kings chapter 2. But tonight we want to see corporately what God did for this group of people who had never been down that way before and how God can do something like that for us. Notice some things about this miracle. This miracle testified of God's greatness. Before this miracle, no one ever could have imagined God parting the waters the way he did. Why don't you consider some things about the miracle crossing of the Red Sea. This this event is so powerful. It was so powerful, it's repeated many, many times in the Bible. For instance, Joshua referred to it in Joshua 24, verses 6 and 7, before he passed the scene. Rahab spoke of it in Joshua chapter 2. When the spies came to her house, she 
she said, we have heard what the Lord did. Uh, David referred to it in Psalms 106 verse 9, numerous other times there. This incident was referred to by the good kings of the Bible in their prayers. This incident was referred by Nehemiah in his prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, Isaiah referred to it in Isaiah 51 verse 10. Great reference that Isaiah makes to it. Uh, Nahum referred to it in Nahum chapter 1 verses 3 to 4. Stephen, as he's preaching his great sermon that's recorded in Acts chapter 7, refers to it. Paul refers to it in his first letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul referred to it again in Hebrews eleven twenty nine. 29. I mean, we cannot get away. If you study your Bible and read it, Old and New Testament, you cannot, you cannot get away from the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. It is, it is so much a part of Bible history and is so much a part of casting faith and having faith in what God is able to do. Arthur Pink the great commentator said this, it was the supreme demonstration of God's power. The Red Sea in its most basic form is a picture the salvation of every believer in Jesus Christ, of how we must, we must cross over by faith and trust God for our deliverance. In its most advanced, uh, most advanced lesson, the miracle crossing is a lesson on faith. But it's also something that we must capture tonight. The lesson here about the crossing of the Red Sea is a lesson on obedience and doing what God wants us to do. Now God does, some thi- God does a lot of things for us. He does things we cannot do, but there's a part of God's plan where God wants you and I to do what he what only we can do and so tonight I want you to see three things about this passage of scripture as we go forward first of all notice in verses one to three we see the crossroads notice number verses one to three the crossroads the Bible says and the Lord spake unto Moses saying speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea over against Baal, Baal Zephon, before it ye shall encamp by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. Let's look at what's going on here. Israel for 440 years has been in captivity down in Egypt. Joseph, Joseph had been sold off into slavery. Joseph had, God was working Joseph's life. Joseph rose to the ranks. He was number two in all of Egypt. God worked out through a famine to bring his father Jacob and his brothers and their families, 75 souls in total, made their way all the way from, from the area of Canaan land over there to Egypt. They had a land and area that was specifically secluded to them. They dwelt there down in Egypt. They stayed there for 400 years. Years. And over time, as different pharaohs died and passed away, pharaohs came along that saw the growth of these, these Israelites as being a threat to them. They saw the 75 people become as much as 3 million people over time. They saw them as a threat to them. They thought that they would overcome them. So they put them into bondage, into slavery. And during that time, they were crying out to God. We read over in Exodus chapter 2, the Israelites are crying to God for help. And, he, and, and God responds to them. And God, at the right time, has raised up Moses to be the one who will deliver them. And Moses of course he's 80 years of age when God calls him he's not the Moses we saw at 40 at the age of 40 Moses is robust Moses is full of energy Moses is full of unction for himself and Moses thinks in his power that he can deliver them and that wasn't what God wanted God wanted a Moses that was empty of self God wanted a Moses that was dead to self God wanted a man that had traveled the circuits of the sands of Egypt for 40 years so God could get all of Egypt out of him hey may I tell you something tonight don't get upset of God 
out, if God puts delays in your life, if God puts you out in some desert somewhere and makes you wander around there for five days, five years, five weeks, whatever it may be, 20 years, 30 years, hey, listen, God is not in a hurry. If there's anything we learned in 2019, we must learn God is not in a hurry. God has some things he needs to accomplish in you and me. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so God is working through Moses and getting him prepared and ready to get out of here. And we read over in Exodus, and I might take some time again this year. I preached to Exodus before. I may take some time this year to preach it again, some fresh new messages that will help us as we go through this journey. But we see them in this period of time. God brings these, these miracles through across the way and gets them out. So we find this, this people of God, they're at this point, this juncture, where now as we read chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, they've come out of Egypt. They're out of Egypt. They're not there anymore. They're, they're not in bondage there anymore. But they're at a crossroads. Look at verse 2 again. They're at a crossroads. They have encamped at this location, basically where, they're, where it's described in verse 3 as they're shut in. Now, shutting means that they're just, there's nowhere to go. That's just where they're at. They're at this crossroad. And you know anything about a crossroad? A crossroad is a fork in the road. It's a place where two paths meet. It's a place where a traveler needs to make a decision. Do I go this way or do I go this way? Which road do I go on? It's, a, it's, at, a, it's at a pathway where the traveler must make a wise decision. It's at a pathway where the traveler must make a right decision. They've got to make a decision, otherwise they're stuck there. And we find Israel here in verse 2, they're encamped at this place called before Pahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Male Zephon. They're at a place where basically they've got to make a decision. Verse 3 says they're shut in. Now I want you to notice some things about this crossroads. Number one, would you write this down? First of all, it was at this crossroads they were able to reflect and remember that they were loved. They had to remember at that moment of time, they were loved. And as we're at this crossroads, we pause for a moment, we go back to chapters 12 and 13. In chapters 12 and 13, chapter 12 is the record of the Passover. The Passover was when God told them that as for the last plague, that he would kill the, the, he would be killed the firstborn son throughout all of Egypt. The firstborn would be slain by God. You say, how cruel. No, if you understand about the worship methods of the Egyptians, they worship the firstborn. That's where the whole idea, actually the, the pagan idea of the worship of the, of, the, of the child, the male child, the firstborn son, came about that, uh, that, that many, many years before then. And that, that happened even before Egypt. And it kind of happened with, with Nimrod. And it was passed down there. If you study pagan rites and so forth. And they worshiped that. And of course, uh, they worshiped Pharaoh's firstborn son. The firstborn was worshiped. And so God was sending a message. They would not repent. Egyptians would not repent of all of their idolatries they had. And foremost of that was the worship of the firstborn. Of course, that's why they threw babies into the, the, into the Nile River and things of that nature there. And so God says, I'm going I'm to slay all the firstborn. But he says, you know, Israel, I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to give you deliverance. And he says, here's how deliverance is going to happen. You're going to take a lamb of the first year that's unblemished. And this lamb, which is a male of the first year that's unblemished, you're going to take that lamb and you're going to kill it. You're going to capture the blood. As you capture the blood, you're going, to take some, you're going to take some hyssop, and with that hyssop, you're going to make a mark on the side post, and then you're going to dip it again and make a mark of blood on, on the threshold, and he says, your, 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 your side post and the threshold of the entrance of your home will be covered with blood. And God said, at midnight, I'm going to send a death angel throughout all of Egypt. As this death angel makes his way through, he says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Amen? That's a great thought tonight. Amen? When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. 
And so the night came, every Israelite was trembling, they took the blood, they put it there, they roasted the lamb, they were eat of the lamb, and whatever they didn't finish that, that night, they had to dispose of it and burn it away and the next morning, and all of it's a picture of salvation, of course, the slaying of the lamb, the death of the lamb, as if it was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, death on the cross for you and me, and the shedding of his blood, so wonderful, wonderful picture. And uh, here we see it instituted here, before that, going back to Genesis 4, a lamb was slain for every man, and then later on, we see a lamb would be slain for every family, but now we get to Exodus chapter 12, and a lamb, would, a lamb would be slain for the entire nation. Of course, when Jesus came, Jesus was the lamb for sinners slain. He was the lamb slain for all the world. Amen? We get over here in this chapter, they, these obedient uh, Jews, they take that hyssop, they take that blood, and they start to put it on, they start to swab it on their side posts, to swab it on, their, on, their, on the other side posts, and over the threshold, and it, when midnight came, we read Exodus chapter 12, the death angel came through. And I don't know how to describe that, but there was a blood-curdling cry throughout all of the Egyptian homes, all throughout Egypt. We're not talking one city, we're talking every major city in Egypt where Egyptians dwelt in. Firstborns were dying, mothers were crying. Fathers were crying. It was a cry of a banshee. It was a cry of a blood-curdling cry. It was a horrific cry. And you can imagine the Jews as they trembled, they heard this crying and this wailing all throughout Egypt there. But every Jew as they trembled, they were thankful that their house was covered by the blood and they were saved by the blood. Brother and sister in Christ, if you're saved tonight, you are saved by the blood. Thank God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God tonight as they were doing that, it was expression of God God's love for them. And may I remind you tonight, as we come to this place, the 2019, the 20th year of, of Heritage Baptist Church, as we look at the fact God loved these Hebrews, God loves you, and God loves me, and God loves this church. They were loved people. Stop for a minute, get rid of your problems, get rid of all the problems tomorrow that you're going to face, and the bills you got to pay, the refund that you won't get because the government shut down. And just thank God tonight that you're loved. Amen? Amen. You are loved. We need to just thank God out. you are loved. Listen, you don't love God more than he loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever love him, amen? You can never out love God. We love him because he first loved us. Listen, that was God's love for them. God loved these people. As we go on this 20th anniversary, we need to pause for just a moment as we give God the glory for things and just thank God that he loves us. Thank God that God loved us enough that Jesus died for our sins. And thank God that God loves us enough that nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And thank God tonight he loves us so much that we ought to love one another, that we might demonstrate the traits of being sons of God. And thank God he loves us so much that we can, we can go after the fact, we can knock on doors and give out tracts and go sowing and tell people about the wonderful love of God. Hey, listen, if God's love is not overflowing in your soul and doing something great for you, how can you tell somebody else about the love of God for your life? Amen? And so we got a God that loves us and loves us so much. I'm thankful this, this evening God has loved this church and he's allowed this church to stay in existence for 20 years. I'm thankful that God has allowed us to go through multiple building programs and fundraising opportunities. I'm thankful as a church that God has loves us so much that he's moved in the lives and the careers and the work and the giving of God's people through this church that thousands, literally millions have been given for foreign missions. Millions have been given to put up buildings so people can come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful God loves us so much. He's given most of us in this 
this room good health and wonderful health to serve him. Yes, we've aged along the way. We've got a little bit more gray here or lesser here, but thank God we still got our health and we can still serve God, amen? Thank God that he loves us. Thank God he's loved us. We watched along the way as God has, has started off with just a lot of singles in our church in those early days. They got married. They started having children. Their children are growing up. I'm looking forward to that next generation getting married off and being alive here hopefully long enough so I can marry their children in the Lord and watch what God's going to do. I'm just saying today, thank God today that we're loved. Amen. Amen. There were people that were loved at this crossroad, but notice there were people that were led at this crossroads. Go back to chapter 13. Let's read verses 17 to 20. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. Notice this, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. Now, if you know your Bible map, that was the coastline. Philistines were on the coastline. They were coastal people. Where the Philistines were on the coastline, it's kind of like California. They looked out towards the Mediterranean Sea. So they were on the coastline. That was the easy way, at least that it looked that way. And the Bible says in verse 17, God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. It was clearer, made more sense, humanly speaking. And it says, although that was near, for God had said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. That's kind of like today. They put on their backpacks. Amen. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones away hence with you. Hey, I like Joseph's faith. Joseph has such great faith in what God was going to do. He says, don't leave my bones down here in Egypt. Take those bones with you. Take those old bones of mine. Take it with you when you get in the promised land. He has such great faith. Amen. We go over here to verse, verse 19, uh, verse 20. And they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud to lead them, by, uh, lead them in the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now God was leading them. And I, I want to say some things. The journey of faith that Israel began on started at the end of the Passover. Your journey of faith starts when you take Jesus Christ by Savior. You get him as Savior, that's when your journey of faith starts. We walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by faith. And so their journey of faith started at the end of the Passover. It's right here in Exodus chapter 13. And they've gotten instructions from God. And God says, now you need to go. Let's look again at what we just read here. Some things about this journey of faith. In verse 17, God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. Hey, tonight be thankful where God does not lead you. Be thankful God is in lead. Can I encourage you about something, especially young people? As you consider where you're supposed to go to college and what you're supposed to do and all these, you know what you need to pray first is you get all this excitement and a lot of your immaturity really has not been experienced to know what the downsides and all the other things. First thing you ought to pray for is, Lord, as I pray about what your will is, close those doors I'm not supposed to go through. Shut those doors I'm not supposed to. Hey, there, I, people say, well, there's, there's an opportunity. You may never come again. Can I tell you something? I'm not that old, but I'm not that young. Opportunities come and go. Don't, don't let man fail you and think you, if you miss this opportunity, listen, you follow God. Amen. You follow God. God led them not. It, a good opportunity to me. God led them not. Be thankful where God does not lead you. By the way, don't say God led me to do this sin. God does not lead anyone to sin. 
God tempts no man, doesn't lead you to sin. Secondly, notice this. It says in verse 18, God led them through the way of the wilderness, the Red Sea. Now, just the word wilderness scares me. Just the thought of wilderness. Because you, 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 you need to be able to navigate your way through uncharted paths. Be thankful where God does lead you. Be thankful that God is leading us. Be thankful where he leads us. Then verses 21 to 22, God's presence was manifest by a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. And some, some consider this a theophany, an appearance of God there. The very presence of God was there. Be thankful that God leads us. Be thankful that God makes his presence known. I, I, was, I wrote a devotion. It'll show up this week on the My God Morning Devotion. It talked about God being in the midst of us. And I was dwelling on that the other day, and I thought, wow, what a powerful thought there. And when God is in the midst of us, look what God does. When God is right there, hey, be thankful for the very presence of God. And those Israelites, their faith was so small at that time that they needed a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. May I remind you today that the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night is God's word and God's Holy Spirit. Amen? We have, thank God, his, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thank God the Holy Spirit of God, he dwells inside of us. And that truth that we've received is not a lie. And he guides us through truth. He enlightens our way and shows us what we need to do. And so their journey of faith began at that time. I remind you tonight, as we just saw about HBC's journey of faith in 2018, as we give God the glory. I think about the special events as Easter and all the hard work our people did six to eight weeks leading into Easter as we canvassed, as we gave out thousands of cards, invited lots of people, made phone calls. You remember there, we started asking people to submit names of folks that you, you wanted the church to pray for, and names started gathering. We got a cross that was right there back in the corner, and people took a piece of paper and put the names of folks on there, and they tacked it onto that cross and began praying. And then Wednesday night before the musical, we started praying. The choir worked hard. And by the way, take some time over these next three Sundays to thank the choir and orchestra and all the members there for their involvement. They worked extremely hard last year and being a blessing to the ministry here. We don't have a large choir, but we've got a great choir, amen? I'm thankful for the volume of our choir. We need some more singers that God will raise up for that. But we, we notice here that we had a great musical that revolved around the cross of Jesus Christ. We had preaching for two nights, and thank God for people that got saved, people that got assurance of salvation, and many, many prospects that God gave us through that. And then later in the year, I'm thankful for the fall musical. That was not something we had originally planned for, but God had been working in my heart from the beginning of the year, and I contacted Brother Van Gelderen. In fact, actually, yeah, after I spent some time with them, God put in my heart to contact Brother Van Gelderen asking to bring a team down here. They came. We had a wonderful fall music concert. It was very well attended on one Sunday night. The whole, this whole room was overflowing with people. We had over 500 people that were here that night. We thank God for several that got saved and trusted Christ as their Savior. It was a wonderful time. We were blessed by music. Then right after that, we got into our annual Friend Day. And again, our church rallied behind this year's Friend Day probably more than ever before. We had our best attended Friend Day ever. I mean, we were excitingly just filled with about 200 returning and first-time visitors that came that Sunday maybe more than that. And we thank God as the gospel was preached by Dr. Tom Farrell. Many, many scores of people got saved. And then from there, we went right into our fall revival. And that was probably the greatest fall revival our church has ever had. We had, we had spot-on preaching that we needed during that time. And God saved and God worked. And then following that, it seemed like a blur. Right after we were in our Christmas musical, which was just a few weeks ago. And over two nights, again, lots of practice, lots of preparation. A little bit of a different musical. It wasn't a play. It was a narration. And with the narration, the music, God just came down on this building. God came inside this room and with these tired, weary voices and tired, weary bodies and rehearsals and minds kind of fuzzy and foggy there. God's spirit was working and we thank God that over 900 plus people attended over two, two nights and we thank God for over 35 that were saved and many of them working on, many of them returned. In fact, we had, we had a couple that came 
They came, they recently moved to this area. They came yesterday on soul winning. We went to see this couple to follow up with them. One of our soul winners had already been there and just explained to what the gospel is all about, but somehow they just didn't get the connection what they needed to do, and we spent some time with them. I'm thankful that couple got saved. Husband and wife got saved yesterday, and they were here in church today, and the first thing, wife says, Pastor, we were thinking about what we need to do. We know the next thing we need to do is get, after watching that lady get baptized today, we need to get baptized next too, amen? That's just a good thing you want to see there. And then, of course, we thank God for just a fruitful soul winning year through the services and through individual individual soul winning. We had over 230 plus recorded salvation decisions, many of them being worked on, several of them in the church. Last year was a good year of enrollment in discipleship, whereas of right now we have about 82 enrolled in discipleship. We didn't quite hit the mark where I thought we would hit for baptisms. We have a lot of people lined up kind of in the, uh, there for baptism, but thank God for 37 that were baptized last year. And of course, thank God for 34 new members added to the church. I mean, just saying tonight, God, that we were led of God, amen? God was working our church and leading us along the way. We weren't sure how all of 2018 would unfold, but God was in all of that. And I'm just thankful today to tell you, God is at work. And then, of course, one of the highlights of last year was the opening of the Berean Center, on Sunday, August 5th, and there was so much work that went into that. There was just a year before all the prep work and just taking the bids and working through all the details and getting the final things, making sure the city was good with everything we did, and then ground was, ground was broken and construction started, and you remember last, last year at this time, we signed those walls inside there, and uh, then the construction got going, and our men studiously watched over every detail of this project there, and then the day came, we were able to open up the building on August 5th, and that building has been a blessing, and with that, that building we introduced and took our Sunday school to a new level with the adult growth groups as a means and opportunity so the church can grow. We're breaking the church down into the smaller classroom environments and Bible study groups so people can come. They can get to know people. They can be part of something there. And we've got rooms to grow and several classes even right now, first and second hour, that are way, just waiting for us to get some teachers raised up that can fill them up. And we're thankful for the growth that's happened there and what God's doing in lives and people being added to the church. And then we talked we just read. God went before them. Hey, thank God. Don't you go before God. Let God go before you. Amen? Let God lead the way. The Lord went before them and by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way and by night in a pillar of fire. Hey, you take some time in your devotion tonight and tomorrow morning. Thank God. Thank you for your presence and thank God for leading me and trust the leading of the Lord. He never leads you wrong. God's leading is his eye which helps us to see what others cannot see. God's leading demands our obedience and faith is planned. Notice this tonight as we look at this crossroads. They were loved, they were led, but would you notice something very troubling? Look at verse 3 of chapter 14 again. They were locked. They were locked. You with me? Speak unto the children of Israel, verse 2, that they turn... They camped before Pyrohiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon, before it you shall encamp by the sea. Now God told them, this is where you're going to go. And God gives this command, and he tells them the exact locations and the points of, of, of concern, and he leads them there. He says, now you're going to go there, and you're going to set up camp there. And where they set up camp, basically they were on the, they were on the edge of the Red Sea. And where they're there to the Red Sea, behind them, is really it's like you just really can't go backwards. And the Bible says here in verse 3, notice verse 3, for Pharaoh, when he sees them, it says, Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. God led them to a narrow location. 
Behind him, as we read verse 6, 7, and 8, 600 chosen chariots, all the chariots of Egypt, and captains over every one of them. We read about later on in verse, verse 9, going and working our way down, there were thousands of them. They were shut in. Looking ahead did not appear to be an option. Looking back did not appear to be an option. I mean, as Denny alluded to tonight, they looked ahead and they thought, well, none of us can swim that far. Some of them looked at it and says, man, we can't even walk across that. Some innovative teenager thought, I can't even backfold across this, Amen. I mean, they looked at that, and they looked behind them. They heard the thunderous hoofs of the horses and the thundering of the chariots. They said, well, that's not an option. What do we do? We can't go backwards. We can't go forwards. What do we do? Why did you lead us here, Moses? They, they were locked in. At least the appearance was they were locked. They were stuck. They were at a place where they felt like they were at a crossroads. They didn't know what to do. Hey, can I tell you something tonight? Maybe we have to evaluate before we go into the theme tonight. We need to evaluate where we're at personally and where we're at corporately. Are we stuck? Are we locked in? Are we shut up? I'm talking about tonight, when's the last time you felt the moving of the Holy Spirit and somebody got saved? I'm talking about tonight, when's the last time you had a prayer time and heaven came down and glory filled your soul? I'm talking about tonight, when's the last time you saw consecutively prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer, God answering prayer in your life? I'm talking, when's the last time that you had somebody come to church and you rejoice the fact that you prayed over this person to get saved and they came and actually got saved to church? I'm asking tonight, when's the last time that the Bible promises came alive in your life and the word of God was burning in your heart? Someone asked many years ago, they asked the preacher, they, said, they asked Dr. John R. Rice, they said, Dr. Rice, how long should I read my Bible? Dr. Rice said, read your Bible until your heart burns. We shut in or stuck. They were stuck. They were locked. The parents to Pharaoh, they were locked. And I wonder tonight, have we gotten to this place where we're actually letting the Lord lead us, but not all the way. You've hit a ceiling. You're bouncing against walls. We're going backwards instead of forwards. We're stuck when it comes to exercising faith. We're stuck when it comes to giving. Yesterday I made a call on a church member. I spent some time with him for a few minutes. He said, before the go, Pastor, I want to give you something. You never expect this from this person. They don't really have a whole lot. My wife and I led this person to Christ about 10 years ago this year. He gave a check for a substantial amount. Says, Pastor, give this to the church. A substantial amount. This morning, 
It's making my ways around the classes, greeting people, saying hello, sticking my head in, saying hi to people. One, uh, one of our members who'd been away for a little bit, been traveling, came back, said, hey, Pastor, I want to give you something. They gave me an envelope full of cash, and it said, this is for the one key offering. Would you put that in the offering this morning? You know, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving. Faith promise after faith promise after faith promise, and giving by faith after giving by faith, and so forth. There, you get this place, you kind of feel like, I wonder if I've just given too much. Can I tell you something tonight? When the devil puts that in your mind, you never give too much to God. You never give too much to God. You better say amen to that. Because if you don't think that, he's going to take from you. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. By the way, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Are you stuck? Stuck in sin? Oh, don't go down to sin. That's the problem with our world right now. Nobody preaches about sin. Now, I'm glad I got saved at a time for those old preachers. Then they preached, they preached. Now I'm looking, I'm one of those old preachers. That scares me, amen? Don't you laugh. I'm not that old. Come on. Danny's older than me. Come on. And then Dave Lau's older than that, amen? You know, just... stuck. Got to loosen my tie and say something tonight. I don't want to stay at the same level. We need to keep going. We're going forward. I'm going to say some things tonight pretty boldly I've held back on. And then some things I might just hold back still a little bit. You know, man, I talked to a businessman that I've had an opportunity to, to kind of mentor him at a distance. My wife and I were driving and making a call the other day, and he said, hey, I'm going to call you. He, want, he said, Pastor Falcon, do you have a minute to call, to call me? And I said, yeah. And so he texts me, and he's down in another part of our state, and he says, hey, I'm helping this new church planter. And uh, some of you who are around here, know, know, if I mention them, you'd know him. He's helped this church planter, and it, the church planter's in a very struggling area, difficult area, but he's doing a great job. He's winning souls. And I said, hey, what are you guys running down there? He says, man, Pastor, he says, we're running about 150 the church. I said, praise the Lord for that. He said, can I talk to you about what you guys did, a building program and all this kind of stuff? And he made this statement there that was a little bit, a little bit troubling to me, and I'll explain it in a minute. He said, wow, you, made, you got that other building going? And, and, you know, I remember being up there just be, when you had that old metal building. How many remember the old metal building, amen? amen? Now, don't forget that metal building. That was part of our history, amen? Hot when it was hot. Cold when it was cold. By the way, don't you complain. That was my Sunday school class. We started the home builders class in there, Amen. We were in there when it was hot and when it was cold. Thank God we were hot or cold. We weren't lukewarm, amen? <laughs> and here's what he said, and, I, and this is going to go on last year. I don't care. He said, man, you guys are building buildings like Lancaster Baptist Church. I said, no. We're building buildings according to the will of God. We're not trying to copy another church. And thank God for Lancaster Baptist Church. I'm not trying to be Lancaster. Some people say it. We are not trying to be Lancaster Baptist. We're, we're a heritage Baptist church because that's what God called us to do right here. Amen. We're not trying to replicate. Every church is distinctly different. They're local New Testament bodies. They're led by different shepherds. They have different congregations. Listen, they must follow the leading of God based upon the DNA God has given that locality. Listen, when we try to pattern ourselves after this success model, that success model, we're not going to succeed. The success model is the Bible, the Word of God. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. Listen to me. We started this church with the, with the philosophy 
We're going to make church a big thing. Because church is the body of Christ. Church is the building of God, not the physical building. You and me. Church is the bride of Christ. And church is a big thing. In those early days, those, those 25 to 30 core members, listen, man, uh, very few of them lived in Oakland. We went to Oakland because Oakland's a mission field. By the way, it's still a mission field right now. It's a messed up mission field that needs a lot of churches. And those core members, when they got there, they drove their minivans and their broken down jalopy cars because we had a lot of students who were just trying to get out of debt, amen? And they'd park on the street to find early parking. They'd stay there all day because they, thank God that nobody, no, nobody marked their car to give them a ticket on Sundays, amen? And some went home, they came back on Sunday nights and they had to pay for parking down below. But listen, we did that, and if you guys remember those core, those founding members, I mean, there were, it got to be about two months into it, we were bone tired from moving this heavy pulpit we had, this, this pulpit that I don't know even if it's still on this property. Or, we'd move the pulpit and the keyboard that we had from a closet to the place, and we'd move it back again, and we'd put song books out, and we'd do all this preparation set up. You say, where were the ushers? Those 30 people were the ushers. You say, where were the child care workers? All the women were the child care workers. You say, where were the teachers? Listen, we did the best we could, and we were just straggling along trying to get it done. But we worked, and we worked, and we prayed, and we prayed. But I'm going to tell you something. Those 25 to 30 people, they were, unless they were out of town on business or they were sick, they were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We built that church on sweat and tears and prayer and sacrifice and people being faithful to God. Now we get out here, we got some buildings, and we, 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 got, we PowerPoint our hymns because we don't have to use hymn books anymore. And I'm thinking about going back to bringing hymn books in just so you can start learning how to sing again. Amen? Yeah. And you did pretty good tonight, so we're not bringing hymn books out tonight. Amen? <laughs> we got a new generation of Christians coming up. It doesn't bother them people don't get saved. Doesn't bother them if a believer gets if someone does get saved, they're not in discipleship. It doesn't bother them if somebody's missing one week, two weeks, and three weeks. And listen, we're at a place in the church. Don't just say if you notice somebody's missing, wait to talk to me when where there's a where we have a coffee time outside. If you know somebody's missing, you ought to pick up the phone or find out where that person's at and go knock on the door, say, I missed you at church. Come back to church. Just don't wait for the pastoral staff to do all that. Because if you let it go by your mind, listen, your eye affected your heart. If you let it go by, you're going to lose that passion and concern for people. There's several of you this morning I've contacted, this afternoon I've contacted, hey, did you see so-and-so? Did you see so-and-so? Did you see so-and-so? Did you see so-and-so? Where are they at? People think I don't know. I, yes, I know. But I want to find out if somebody else knows if they're missing. I want to find out if you teachers are missing them. This isn't Alan Fogg's work. This is God's work. So they're stuck. Their attendance was stuck. The power was stuck. Nothing was going on. They just got used to doing church. Don't get used to doing church. Get used to God's power coming down every service. Get used to answers to prayer. Get used to God blessing us through the songs every week. Pray that God would do something great in our midst. Hey, don't get used to that. Oh, we just, we know we got a little struggling class. Why don't you do something for that struggling class and get somebody in there and get them saved for God, amen? The same tonight, they were locked. They're at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads. We can decide after all the hype, 
After all the celebration, after all the eating, by the way, the ticket, the, the banquet's going to be great. It's prime rib, man. Amen. If you're going to fast, you better fast now. Don't fast that night. Amen. If you start fasting that weekend, I'm going to kill you because you chose the wrong weekend to fast. Amen. You better fast now. Brother Chapel used to fast. We said, come in January, he used to fast. And uh, I remember one time he fasted. I said, Brother Chapel, why are you fasting right now? He said, well, we got our meals coming. I said, you know, I laid out all this food for you to eat. He doesn't fast anymore when he comes to our church, amen? <laughs> I'm serious. I've helped him cover two of his favorite restaurants here in the Bay Area. He doesn't fast when I take him there, amen? They were locked. Before I go on, can I ask you questions tonight? Where are you at in your Christian life? Are you locked? Are you at a ceiling? Are you used to that? Does that content you or does that bother you? Does it content you or does it convict you? Are you locked? Hey, do you care about the church? Only one person said amen? Do you love God's church? You love God's church? Does it concern you when there's empty seats? Does it concern you? That every, every Sunday should be like a friend day? Did it concern you? Concern you we go more than one or two weeks and people aren't getting baptized? That's New Testament Christianity. You say, well, that doesn't happen. It hap if you understand your Bible, have faith according to the Bible, it happens all the time. I said it when starting this message. What happened here in Exodus 14, that's real. That's how God works. And so we see... They're at a crossroad. You notice number two, we see the command. <laughs> They're at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads. Can we get past the attendance ceilings? Can we see mighty sweeping revivals? Can we see preachers called and sent out? We'll see growth that multiplies. Notice the command. In verses 9 to 12, as we said earlier, Egypt was not, I mean, the, the Israelites were not very happy with Moses and his leadership. They weren't, they weren't in on the private conversations, the insider information he had with God. And so they're at this crossroads right now. They're, they're, they're looking at this water, and they're looking at they're looking the length of this Red Sea. And they're thinking, no way we're going to swim this. No way we're going to walk. They, and they looked, somebody looked over and saw grandma. I said, grandma won't make it across there. They look at a mother that's great with child. She says, no way she's going to make it across there. They're, they're looking at that, and they're looking at that situation. They hear the thunder behind them. They could hear, they could, they could feel at a hair breath the, 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 the Egyptians behind them. And they're thinking, what are we going to do? And they said, you know what? It had been better for us if we'd stay there. And there's some of us going to be thinking that when I'm done tonight, it's better for us we just stay the way we are. There's some people who say, why do you want to grow in? anyway. And why do you want to see so say? Because that's biblical. Because that's being obedient to God. You don't see works in the Bible that God is happy about that are going backwards or stuck at a ceiling. You see works of God that are going on for him. So Moses is feeling a lot of pressure. They said in verse 12, let us alone. It had been better we served the Egyptians. Some people get discouraged. You know what they say? It's better for me to stay at my job, work more at my job than be at church. 
And so you say, it's better for me to get, I got my children's education, all the, and I understand that. I understand that. You won't find a pastor in fundamentals more sympathetic to that thought than me. But not to the excess when, you, when church, all of a sudden church is in the way. And Jesus is in the way. Jesus is never in the way. If we get to that mindset, we think church is in the way and Jesus is in the way, then it's not God that's at fault, it's we who are at fault. Let me tell you something. I was in business for 25, 26 years. I had a lot of opportunities to travel here and travel there and do a lot of other things like that. I could advance my career many other ways. I could have compromised and did a lot of different things. I made a decision. My wife and I made a decision. Even before I got married to her, we made a decision. I'm not going to go away unless I absolutely have to. And it was very rare I went away. I made sure I was in my church. I made sure I was in my spot. I made sure I was at so winning as a layman. I made sure I was at men's prayer time. I made sure I said amen when there was preaching. I made sure when I was bone tired after working 80 hours a week, I still made sure I taught my lessons that I was at church and I'd be a blessing to people. And I'm saying tonight, if you're only working a 40-hour job, you haven't even begun to work. And so notice Moses is feeling all this pressure because people are telling him, verse 12, it's better for us to do it. And I get that all the time. People say, Pastor, it's better we do it this way. Better we do it that way. Let's turn off the lights and let's have some disco music, whatever it is. We're not having that kind of junk in church. Because people leaving these dying churches, they're saying, how come we don't do it this way? Because we're doing it this way. We've been doing it for 20 years. It hasn't failed yet. So notice, would you notice in this command, first of all, notice Moses receives a persuasion. He has a persuasion. I want you to catch this for just a minute. Now Moses had a private conversation with God, but I want you to study this in between there. Moses had no idea. I mean, he didn't comprehend the idea. In fact, he didn't even imagine the idea that God was going to open the Red Sea. You studied this before. that He didn't have any imagination of that. Now, we take for granted he knew God was unfolding this to Moses as well there too. I mean, I want to tell you something. God doesn't tell the leader everything up front. He wants the leader to experience kind of surprises there too. Amen? And so Moses is there, but he knows God's going to do something. I mean, Moses had already seen what God did through those plagues, and Moses had already seen what God was capable of doing. He said, God is more than capable of doing that, and the memory of the Passover situation was fresh in his mind. Notice verse 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. He was right about that. He wasn't wrong. And then verse 14, the Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. But here's where Moses was thinking. He said, listen, I, I just imagine right now that the Egyptians are behind us, and Red Sea's in front of us. And so God, God somehow is going to send some thunderbolts out, and God's going to fight for us, and he's going to defeat them right there so that we can turn around and do our thing. I mean, really in his mind, if you read the passage and preceding passages before this, he's that in his imagination, he can't conceive in his mind that God's going to open this Red Sea up. I mean, he has no idea how this Red Sea is going to open up. He has no idea how this great miracle is God's going to do. He just knows, I know God's going to do something, and he'll fight for me, and he's trying to assure them what to do. And along the way, the people are crying to God. They're crying to Moses saying, get us out of this mess, and get us out of this mess. We're feeling the pressure. Some of you are crying about this 1K offering. God, get us out of this mess. God, get us out of this mess. When's he going to stop asking to give money? When we pay off the debt, amen? And Moses, in his mind, he's thinking, God, God's going to fight for you. God's going to get it done. And he's persuaded God's going to do something. But he's like a lot of us. His faith was just coming up a little bit short. You follow me? 
In his mind, he knew God was going to take care of the problem, but the way he thought God was going to take care of the problem was God's going to fight for you, and God's going to do this. You know, sometimes you get upset, and some bad things happen. You say, God, send a thunderbolt down and hit that old senator in the head, right in the head. I mean, I'm not going to mention names right now, okay? <laughs> Brother David, you can do that, amen? But don't you feel that way sometimes? I used to, used to go to men's prayer meeting when I was in college, and I had this one guy that I was friends with, and, and he was, you know, you think I'm nuts. Man, this guy was really nuts. He was out there. That's probably why I'm the way I am. And he prayed something like this. Back in that time, Nelson Rockefeller was a, was a, was a senator, and they kind of linked him up in the, in, in, you know, the Illuminati and all these other secret type of things there. And my friend would get down there and pray. We'd start praying for revival in the country. And he'd say, God, you either save them or God, you slay them. And I thought, whoa. <laughs> I'm serious. And then one guy got all fanatic, and I thought he got charismatic. And he said, and Lord, make Alan Fall president of the United States. I said, what? <laughs> I'm serious. Man, these prayer meetings I've gone into, I mean, we got in trouble later with my pastor. He said, he said, Fong, what were you praying for? I said, I can tell you what I was praying for, but do you want me to tell you what they were praying for, you know? <laughs> Man, that guy would get him these prayer meetings. God, save them or God, slay them. That's what Moses is doing. God's going to fight for you. God's going to defeat them. God's going to, but he, you know, he's thinking fighting. He's all manly, amen? So God's going to fight. God's going to go. He has no concept about this idea of the Red Sea. Read your Bible. He has no concept of the idea that, is it possible God can make a way through the water? I mean, he's, he knew God was going to take care of it. And listen, we know God's going to take care of the church. Aren't you glad about that, Amen. amen. He'll take better care of the church than you. But we're, we were trying, but we're trying to tell God how to do the job. He told us how to do the job. And so Moses is there. He's got this persuasion. God's going to do something, but he's not really sure. And notice in verse 15, we see the precept. Now remember here, the children of Israel and Moses, the Bible says in verse 10, they cried out to the Lord. Would you notice verse 15? The first thing God says to Moses, wherefore Christ out to me. Now, has God ever told you to stop praying? He told me to stop praying. Yeah, sometimes God tells you to stop praying. Why? Because it's already in the word of God what you're supposed to do. You need to obey God's word. And he said, why are you crying out to me? What are you praying for? Get off your knees, dude. Excuse me. <laughs> Get off your knees. Why are you crying out to me? Why are you asking for deliverance? Why are you asking me to send the angels of heaven? Hey, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. He did not. Why are you asking for me to send my battalion from heaven? Why are you asking me to have, have Gabriel, Michael come? Why are you asking me to send Michael down here to, to come down there and slay them? He said, Moses, Moses. We're for Christ unto me. He, notice what he said here. I got a message for you, Moses. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. God gave them the command. God gave them the precept. 
He said, you can stop your praying. He said, tell the people they're going to go forward. Tell them they need to go on for God. Tell them that they need to be onward Christian soldiers. He said, listen, I'm going to do something big for you, but you have to obey me. I'm going to do something that you've never seen before, but you've got to exercise faith. He said, but God, you're telling me to do something that's impossible. You're telling me, God, to go forward? Did you see these waters, God? Did you see how, how long this sea is? Did you see how much water has to be crossed? God, do you have any idea how deep it is, 10 feet out there? Do you know how deep it is? Do you realize most of these people can't swim? They've been stuck in Egypt around that Nile River. They can't swim that far. They can't make that difference. Lord, you're asking us to do something that is totally impossible. You're asking us to do something that's way over our heads. You're saying, Lord, go for it. Yep, Moses, that's right. I'm trying to go for it. Can I tell you something? It may seem hard to build a church. It may seem hard to build a growth class. It may seem hard to get your bus filled. It may seem hard to fill the auditorium. It may seem hard to build up Sunday night service, the Sunday morning service. And Wednesday service, but God just says two things go forward, go forward. He said, it's too hard. I don't want to juggle the time. I don't either. I was up early yesterday morning, and my wife and I were up from 8.30 until we got home at 8 o'clock last night, and we got home rejoicing about everything. But you talk about tired. You talk about thinking about what happened during the day. It was a long day. Before you start talking about everything you did, this is my seventh message this week. I'm going to change church. Yeah, you go change church. If that pastor preaches twice in a week, you got a good, you got a decent preacher. I'm patting myself. I'm telling you, it takes work to get the job done. Commitment. Whether we have 100 people or 200 people, it doesn't change. I give the same amount of time to the preparation of the word of God. I give the same amount of time to prayer. I give the same amount of time to sowing because the numbers are not what sways me. It's obedience to God, and God says, go forward. And I'm telling you tonight, whether you only have one student in your class, you'd still need to go forward for Jesus Christ. He says, go forward. i give you some things we need to go forward in tonight. Would you write this down? We must go forward in our praying. I started off the year with the prayer of Jabez purposely. Bless me, O Lord. Bless me. Every great movement of God has always been preceded by prayer and more prayer. Would you do a favor to yourself tonight? All over the room, from here to here, would you make a commitment? One hour a day minimum in prayer. Don't talk about it. Do it. Not in, not in groups. By yourself. Find your prayer closet. Get alone with God. Let God speak to you. Make a decision tonight. You will have a life that prays without ceasing. Make a decision tonight to join me in praying for labors for the harvest. It's going to be pretty scary around here. I'm praying for God to send a lot of men out of this church as soul winners and as preachers. Make a decision to pray for your unsaved family members and friends to get saved. Would you do this? Easter is just weeks away. Start making a list of people to invite to the Easter service. Whether you're Spanish-speaking or Chinese-speaking, English-speaking, whatever it is may you may speak, can I tell you, ask you something today? You know people that are not saved. Would you make a list of them and determine under God, you're going to contact me in the next 30 days and say, Pastor, I've made a list of these people. I prayed over it. Would you come to my house? Would you go with me? Would you help me to get the gospel of these people so we can get them saved? 
If just half of us did that, we'd probably have 25% of those people we went after, they'd be in church because of that. Let's go forward in our praying. It's already given. You get your packets tonight, we've already given you a Bible reading schedule. And you know what thrills my heart at the end of the year? Somebody's saying, Pastor, I just want you to know, man, this has been a great Bible reading. I read through the Bible this whole year, first time. One of our men came to me and said, Pastor, I just want you to know, and, and I, 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 feel so, I feel so encouraged, but encouraged me to do more for myself. He said, I've read through the Bible three times this past year. Praise God for that. I can see the difference in their lives. Let's go forward and pray. Number two, let's go forward and soul winning. Well, I was expecting that. Yeah, I know. Can I tell you something tonight? I'm going to tell you my testimony. There was a time when soul winning was sporadic and dry and unfruitful in my life. I'm talking for a long time. It was dry, unfruitful, and sporadic. And those of you going through that right now, you're dry, so you better listen to me because this will change your life. I did three things. I did three things. First of all, I took a hard look at what I was doing, how I was communicating the message. And I started studying every person Jesus went to, every person Paul talked to. I didn't study great soul winners. I studied what the Bible did. And I decided to pattern my soul winning style after what they did. You get around me, I, just, I don't follow, I, you know, I, sometimes I start with Ephesians 2.89 and sometimes John 3.16. And the other, day, the, other day I, the other day, I think I was in Ephesians. The other day, another time I was in First John. I mean, it just it really doesn't matter. I was discipling the other night and one of the unsafe family members came in and they, they said, can, can I ask you a question? And it just happened Wednesday night, I preached about the body. I don't know why God put on my mind and my heart. He just drove my heart Monday. He said, why don't you preach about the body? And I just gave the message on Wednesday night. If you didn't hear it, go back in the archives and get it. And the man asked me, he said, he's not saved. He said, Pastor Farm, I want to ask you a question. He said, when a person dies, what happens to their body? I said, isn't that interesting? I just preached on that last night. I started taking a hard look at what I was saying and what I was doing. And as I did so, I started realizing how New Testament believers went. So I look what Philip did when he went near the chariot in Acts chapter 8. Second, I became more and more conscious of my praying, my prospecting, my preaching. I became more conscious of souls. I'd walk around and got, got myself to place and started thinking about, okay, what about this person? What about this person? What about this person? And I got myself more conscientious about it. Third, I started obeying, obeying God's command to go forward. I just did. I'm going to go forward. Hey, listen, tonight, soul winning is not even second nature to me. I think and breathe and dream soul winning. I want people to get saved. I want you to win people to Christ. I, want, I imagine a church that an army of people throughout this, in this room here tonight would be soul winners for Jesus Christ and get past their fears and paranoias and their inarticulation in and trust God for the boldness and power that God gives us to enable us to speak his wonderful word and tell people how to get saved. Go forward and sowing by enrolling and organized sowing. You need to enroll in a class and get taught. Keep a prospect list. Let me give you something. Tonight we're going forward and one of the things that challenges me about our generation, about our area, is that we're not seeing a lot of men say, hey, man, look up here tonight. We are going to pray down God's power. I'm praying for men to get saved this year. I mean, I'm talking men that will get saved, husbands that will get saved and lead their families, and fathers that get saved and lead their families, and grandfathers that get saved, and agnostics that get saved, and Muslims that get saved, and Jews that get saved, and Catholics that get saved. It doesn't matter who they are. They believe whatever they believe, that they learn the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're not going to argue with these people. We're just going to show them the power of God's word and let God's word work in their life. Let's go forward to soul winning. 
Let's go forward in our facilities. How many feel like we're blessed with our facilities? Amen? If you don't feel that way, I'm going to put you on a van, and I'm going to take you some places where they wish they had just one building. Now, this is not for the teachers. If you're in an AGG right now, or you're going to enroll in an AGG, that's an adult growth group, would you help me to fill up those rooms? That is a $6 million investment. Let's fill up those rooms. Let's fill up those rooms. Well, it's hard. Go forward. Go forward. Going across the Red Sea was hard. Go forward. Let's go forward in training new qualified teachers. You read your Bible study. Imagine yourself teaching class one day. Imagine yourself meeting the, the scriptural qualifications that a teacher should have, that he's, uh, that he's of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and preaching the word of God. Amen. This year, we need to do some remodeling of the main building. It's showing its age. Some substantial investment we have to make in equipment and things. Just the, whole, the whole building is neat. I don't want that building neglected. That's part of this property. Amen? That, that is not the building we neglect and forget about. It's part of this property. Right now, we're, we're nowhere near expanding that building and tearing it down, doing stuff for expansion. We need to remodel that building. And listen, I've got a burden right now. That main auditorium, that main auditorium there, that, building, that part of that building needs to get filled by somebody there. We've got classrooms that need to get filled. We've got a lot of space right now. We've got more than enough room to go. We're prepared for growth. But listen, for that to happen, it's not going to be wishful thinking. We've got to go forward and do something about it. I've asked one of our members, and I'm asking you, be part of a crew to help me repaint the inside and outside of those, that building. Be part of a crew that can help us do some remodeling of that, that building there and fix some things up and patch some holes and get some brightness in there. We already have a, some folks that, want to, that are planning to get married. They want to, use that new, that want to use that building. I want that building to look right and look nice. I want it to be suitable. If we ever go back there for preaching or it becomes another preaching room for our church, it needs to look very nice. It needs to be presentable. Listen, we've got new carpet in there. Thank God we've got new flooring in there. But we need to update that. We need to expand some of that. What used to be the former nurseries who have some more offices and have some more classroom space over there. I'm just saying today, we need to go forward with our facilities. I'm not asking for a sign-up list tonight, but we're going to have planned work days during this year. We're going to ask you to come and volunteer some time, make some time to upkeep the house of God, and say, just say like the, the, like the word of God says, I, you know, I, I would rather be in God's house more than anything else. Fifthly, we must go forward our finances and stewardship. You writing this down? First of all, be a tithing Christian. We're going to have a little bit more stewardship emphasis this year. A tithe is one-tenth what God has prospered you. If you're not tithing, if you're holding back, that might explain why there's trials and challenges and difficulties. Read, read Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. As good stewards, we are going to consistently do what we can to work down the debt on, that, on this building, the building next door. Let's get it paid down. Participate in our Giving by Faith special bank we're going to have later in May. Do what you can for 1K offering this coming Sunday. If we're not tithing, we're stealing from God. Go forward in faith promise missions. Man, I commend our church tonight. We, this church is, is, just, is just amazing going forward. 465,000 pledged to missions this past year. That is incredible. But don't stop there. We still need the gospel in a lot of places right now. Some of you getting older, you need to pray about, about including the church in your estate planning. 
But we're going to make an emphasis. We're going forward in our, in our stewardship and our finances. Number six, we must go forward in reaching the Bay Area and the world with the gospel. Amen? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in consultation right now with Bearing Precious Seed Ministries and Brother Tim Gibson's ministry over there in, over there in Missouri about printing some, new, uh, some Johns and some Romans. And for some of you, just need to learn how to just, just, just how to give out a track and maybe put some in the door. We're praying about maybe several areas we can see Johns and Romans an entire area, and use this opportunity to invite them to a special event at church. And I'm just imagining 10,000, 20,000, maybe 30,000 Johns and Romans that we can seed an area with. And eventually, as we get used to doing that, that'll be our, that'll be our, our methodology we use to start extension ministries and churches to get people know about our church. We're going to seed that area with Johns and Romans, and we're going to go back as, as, as a talking piece to get them to read the Johns and Romans. And listen, if you know anything about John and Romans, you can seed a, you can seed a home with one of those, those, new, those, those books there, and you can start walking through the gospel. And I hope this on Sunday morning, morning says, I'm going through this uh, series called Nothing But the Truth. We're preaching the gospel, John, that you're taking good notes because a lot of it is gospel fodder and gospel seed that you can use to help tell somebody about, the, about Jesus Christ there. And we need to see the area. We need to reach the area for Jesus Christ. I imagine one day God enabling us to have full-time soul winners in the church. It's all they do. We have two extension ministries. I'm trying to bump them up. But I want to see more extension ministry started so we can get more church. Listen, we're in an area, thank God for everybody commutes, but not everybody's going to commute here. And for every area where there's twenty to 50,000 people in this particular area, we need to get an extension ministry strategically located there. But many of you need to get trained in understanding the dynamics of the local church and understanding children's ministries and working with teens and how to win souls and how to disciple. and all. You've got to get cross-trained in all these things so you can have an understanding. How do we get people to the gospel and keep them in? It's one thing to get the gospel to them. It's another thing to keep it sustained and keep it going. I'm praying for God through the reaching of the area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is going to have to work on some of you men to realize Jesus Christ is more important than your career. It's time to reach the world with, for, with the gospel before Jesus comes. God help our soul. Somebody on the east coast of North Carolina looks over here and says they got a burden for San Francisco. Listen, if we don't have a burden for our own area, there's something wrong with us in our hearts. We're dealing in the area of time. Children have so many distractions. Hi, Siri. So many distractions. Do you understand what's going on with reaching children these days? The average parent comes along and they've got their kids signed up for every umpteen activity after school. And we get all excited and think we got them in here, but the parents are not, and the parents are just thinking we're just another babysitting service for them. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about people on the outside. And so we try, we work our hearts and we try to reach these kids, and when we go to the average home, here's what the kid's doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh what, what, what'd you say? Brother Danny, what'd you say? Billy, put your phone down. Mom has to yell seven or eight times. Listen, if you have to mail more, yell more than one time to your son to put the phone down, you already lost control. Did you hear me, parents? You already lost control. They control you. You don't control them. And let me tell you something tonight. We need creative strategies reaching children. One of them we need to have. You pray with me about this. We need to start after-school ministry reaching kids after school. But I'm going to tell you tonight, with everything I'm telling you about, I need labors to get it done. 
Now, I've decided in my heart, I've been waiting, and I've been waiting, and waiting. Instead of people standing up, I got more people backing out, and backing out, backing out. Whatever, that's fine. I understand. I understand. But I'm determined my heart of hearts. I just know God's got the labor. There are laborers here that ought to be doing what we need to do to help get the vision done. It's not my vision. It's God's vision. God's going to get it done. If it doesn't, they're not coming from here. They're going to come from somewhere else. God's going to raise up the labor to help get it done. Listen, do you understand the, the, the thought of, a, of an after-school ministry where we can get kids to come in from these local schools and we have people that set aside an afternoon from maybe 3.30 to 5.30 or 6 or so where we give tutoring to these kids and we captivate them. And in that tutoring, we're going to have a Bible class every day. And I think I can get them from three to four days a week. And we have an assimilation process through that after-school ministry. We get them in. We get them. By the way, it's going to be a it's going to be a tuition program. Where parents are already used to paying for that kind of thing. We're not going to give it for free. That way, I could hire some people within our own ministry that are qualified to get this done, who have the right spiritual heart and qualify and have a heart for kids. We can pay them to get this thing done, and we can get kids in here. And we can have we will have the administration set up. We meet with the parents if the kid's not doing right. We have a meeting with the parents. And, hey, this is what's going on with your kid. Let me tell you the real issue: your kid's got sin in your heart, and you need to get saved. Your kid needs to get saved. Amen. It means we're going to restructure and change things a little bit there because the ways we used to do things, it still works. But listen, I'm not interested in working just harder. I want to work smarter also, amen? I need laborers. Hey, for someone to get done and for adult growth groups to get built and for offerings to happen and for the gospel to be preached and extension ministry started and children's works to be done and creative strategy for after school ministry and maybe one day we can get another property to do a preschool so we can reach all these parents who drop their kids off and they're worried about their kids. I like to think we could have a safe environment they could drop their kids off to and we have godly women and godly people that can oversee that place and take care of those babies and teach them the Bible and have an entree into their home. I like to think that here at Heritage Baptist Church we've got something in place that can reach a lot of people that are not being reached right now. What about a Christian school? We're not ready for a Christian school. On top of that, we don't have the facilities for a Christian school. And on top of that, that is an endeavor until we get the debt paid down. That is not another, that is another endeavor that we're just, you say, well, wait, wait, what about these other churches? Listen, you ask the average pastor who has a Christian school and they've had it for more than 10 years. First thing they always tell me, do you have a Christian school? I said, no. They said, don't start one. And I know why, because I visited them. I'm not going to get into all that. There's a right place for Christians who we're not ready for that. Listen, we're not winning souls the way we are right now. There's no way. If we don't have a fervent soul winning church, and I'm not saying we're not, but I think we could notch it up a little higher. If we don't have a fervent soul winning church, I'm not starting a school type of ministry where the tail starts wagging the dog. Amen. God told Moses, go forward. You don't have to stay at the crossroads. Go forward. Well, he gives them precept. Notice the performance. Do you notice how this all works out? Verse 15, God tells them to go forward. And then notice in verse 16 to the end of the chapter. We're almost done. 16 to the end of the chapter, God doesn't even give Moses an opportunity to breathe. I love that. Amen. <laughs> God doesn't give Moses an opportunity to argue, debate, question him. God says, oh, I got it all planned out. He says, I've heard your cry. Stop your crying. Stop your praying. Go forward. Let me tell you, you're going to go forward. He says, you're worried about how, how you're going to cross the water. Look at how God takes care of us. Notice the performance. It's not Moses' performance. It's God's performance. Would you write this down very quickly? I've got a series of words that start with the letter W. Notice in verse 16, first of all, we see the wood. The Bible says in verse 16, but lift thou up thy rod. That was a piece of wood. That was a branch. That was a pole. And stretch out thy hand over the sea. Hey, have you ever studied the rod of God that was in the hand of Moses? 
The very first mention of that, he asked Moses, what is that in thy hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground, and God turned that rod, remember that, into a serpent. A venomous serpent. And then he told Moses something that was way out of, just way out of common sense thinking. He said, take it by the tail. If you know anything about snakes and serpents, you never take a snake by the tail. Unless you want to get bit and filled with venom. Always grab it by the head. Moses ran from that serpent. He says, go back and take it by the tail. He took it by the tail and he picked it up and turned back into a rod again. And we read later on, every, every critical juncture that they're at, Moses has got this rod in his hand, and God tells him here over in verse 16, he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take that piece of wood that you're going to realize the power of God, and you're going to stretch it out across that water, and as long as your arm is stretched out, the people are going to make it wider across there. That's why Moses could say in Exodus chapter 17, I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. You think God can't work? Listen, God was saving souls before we even had these buildings. The rod was a perpetual symbol of faith in God's power. Secondly, notice not only the wood, which you notice verses 19 and 20, God gave them a wall. Now, who was behind them? Speak to me. The Egyptians, right? Okay, look at verse 19, 20. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. Now, here's my thought for you. Verse 19, 20, God's got your back. Aren't you glad about that? God's got your back. God's got your back. He's the angel said, no problem, Lord. The angel went behind him. So we read the rest of this. And he went behind them. The pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind, be, behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Hey, did you realize this? They may get within a hair breath, but as long as God is between us and them, they're not going to touch you. God's got your back. So God, gave them, God, gave, God showed the wood and God showed the wall. Notice verses 21 and 22. God gave them a wind. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by strong east wind all that night, and he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were walled into them on the right hand and left. Notice verse 21. A strong east wind. God blew a wind this year. Let's pray for the wind of God to blow into our souls and let it breathe revival into our hearts and breathe life these dry, dead old bones. Let's pray for the wind of God to blow revival through our church. Let's pray for the wind of God to blow power into our lives. Let's pray for the wind of God to make so, non sowinners sowinners. Listen, God sent that east wind and he blew that water right apart. He gave them a wall. He gave them wind. He gave them the wood. Notice God gave them the water. Verses 21 to 22. The waters, notice in verse 21, the east wind blew all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Lord, go forward. Yes. And God took care of making the waters part. Let God open the doors. Amen. Let God part your Red Sea. Let God make a way. And then God not only gave them the water, gave them the water to be moved out of the way. Go to God gave them a walkway. Look at verse 22. What kind of land they walk on? What kind of land they walk on? Dry land. I mean, as dry and hard as the floor your feet are on right now. You ever realize if they had to walk across a muddy, slippery area, how many of them would get hurt and injured or, or maybe sucked into the, mo- the, the mud there? God gave them dry land. And then notice God gave them something else. God gave them the work. 
Verse 27, Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against him. The Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Now, Moses had it right. He knew God was going to intervene, but they saw the work of God. They saw they didn't have to fight their battles. Let me say this, and we're almost done. What was salvation for the Israelites was judgment for the Egyptians. The cross is either for your salvation or will be your judgment. You believe on Jesus, it's your salvation. You reject Jesus, it will judge you. And that Red Sea, because they had faith, they believed, they went across it. Notice as we look at that, we see, we see as we're done, the cross point, the crossroads, we see the command, and, I need to, and I'm done. Would you write down the last thing we're done tonight? Notice the continuation. We're done. God just said, go for it. You know what the continuation is? What God's done for 20 years? God, do it again, amen? Do it again, Lord. Keep it going, Lord. Let's cross more Red Seas, amen? Let's see some Jordan rivers parted. Let's see some more miracles happen. Let's see many more people saved. Let's see God do a great work in our midst. Let's just continue on it. I'm just saying tonight, we need to think about this fact. God is not finished with us, amen? God still has more for us to do, amen? God has more people needs to be saved. God has more preachers he wants to call. God has more space for us to occupy. God has more places he wants to start churches in. God has more property he wants us to acquire. There's a continuation. God has more vision. But listen, we've got to decide. We're just going to go forward and trust God for everything we're going to need to go forward tonight. So as we close tonight, we see the crossroads. They were stuck. We see a command, go forward. We see a continuation. We want God to continue doing it. Here's the invitation tonight, very simply. Would you as a church join me this evening? Every family. If you don't have a family, find someone and become family real quick. Amen. I want everyone to find your place around here. And if you can't kneel, sit where you're at. Find your place. Let's have a holy prayer time before God. In a moment, the pianist is going to play. The pianist plays, you need to find your spot. And say, Lord, you told Moses to go forward. Help me, Lord, to go forward. Father, tonight as we give the invitation for us to pray as a church and corporately to trust God. We humble ourselves before you with sincerity and in truth. The grace and the power of God stir us, motivate us. Lord, we don't want to stay stuck. We don't want to stay locked. We don't want to be at a ceiling. Around the room, I pray we go forward in prayer. Go forward in soul winning. Go forward in our stewardship. Go forward in our finances. Go forward in our facilities. Go forward in world missions. Go forward in reaching the gospel, the people, the, the area of the gospel. Our men tonight go forward as preachers. Our church tonight to go forward as caring and loving. To go forward with our adult growth groups. To go forward wherever, whatever, everything you trust us with tonight. To go forward, Lord, with this after school ministry. Lord, but we need laborers. We need workers. We need laborers. We need people that will spawn. We can only get so much done if we don't have laborers. God, Lord, we need laborers right now. God, work in our hearts to realign our schedules and realign our priorities. And Lord, to look at all the excuses we've made. And maybe we've been like the Israelites. We say, leave us alone. Maybe we've been like the Israelites and we've deduced in our mind, we've said, there's nothing better for me than I should do this. 
Oh, Lord, there's nothing better for us to do than honor God and please you tonight. I pray for husbands and wives and children, teenagers and college students and men and women. I'm praying all over the room would we'll just take a few moments tonight to pray, Lord, would you help me to be committed to this year of a year of going forward. Lord, to be committed, Lord, to sing over-the-top services of attendance and the power of God coming down and, Lord, victory in our lives and hour, an hour a day spent in prayer and time spent in the Word of God and, Lord, time giving out the gospel, make it go to reach people for Christ and realize today that, Lord, we can't have another year of excuses and everything getting in the way and realize we've got to realign our priorities and things tonight that we were on, we're on the same page with you, not worrying about you getting on the same page with us. Father, thank you for this church and the people. They're wonderful people, a loving people, a wonderful church. And I realize, Lord, the devil fights us along the way, and I realize our flesh fights us along the way. I pray this evening we'd be committed as a family, a family of God here. The church, Heritage Baptist Church, is seeing the flesh put to death, Christ glorified. Greater works than these shall he do, the Bible says. Help us to go forward in faith. Help us to go forward with the desire for the power of the Holy Spirit. Please have your way around the church tonight. We